uh, one of the things that I, that I hear sometimes is, man, people just desiring more of the Bible. Like, man, we just, we just need more Bible. We want, we want more of the Bible. We want more of the text. And so today we're going to spend a lot of time in John chapter 12. And in fact, I, if, if I'm honest, last night I was telling my wife, I said, okay. She said, what are you teaching on? I think she's working in the nursery or something this morning. She said, what are you teaching on? And I walked her through the teaching. And she said, man, that sounds really boring. <clears throat> And I said, it's the Bible. What do you want me to do? No, it's uh, John chapter 12 uh, has challenges. John chapter 12 is uh, uh, really in John, it's, it's a, the turning chapter. The page is about to turn. In chapter 13, John begins the second book of John, which is really the book of wonders, the book of glory. And we're finishing up the book of signs. And, and it's a complicated text. Uh, a lot of times when we teach John 12, like we'll, we'll pick one piece of John 12 and kind of land on it. And there's a lot of amazing things to land on. But if you teach the whole thing of John chapter 12, man, it's, it's just kind of a convergence of everything. Uh, did you ever in high school or in college, like you had to write that essay paper and, and there was a list of questions that the, the teacher wanted you to answer in your essay and you kind of get to the end of your essay and you realize, oh man, I haven't answered any of those questions yet. And then in the last paragraph of your essay, it like becomes incredibly dense as you answer like all of you, squeeze all that in. That's kind of what's happening in chapter 12. John is, is packing chapter 12 full it is a convergence of, of many streams, really. It's, it's all coming together. And John chapter 12 is really like uh, an assault on your senses, too. It is filled with sights and sounds and smells. It's sensory overload. All right, so are you ready for this? Can we dive into this? I would tell you, too, that John chapter 12, like uh, a little bit of our culture, we're, we're wired for like tweets. Like we want 144 characters. We don't want more than that. Like even sometimes in, in teachings, like sometimes in teaching, it's a really helpful thing to, okay, I'm going to condense everything down to a word or a phrase. So you can go, okay, I've got this word or phrase. I can put it in my pocket. I can carry it with me all week. John chapter 12 really kind of defies all that. Uh, it's going to come at you from every angle. All right? Can you handle it? Are you brave? Awesome. All right, so let's begin in the text. It begins in chapter one, and we're just gonna read the first, or sorry, chapter 12. We're gonna read the first three verses. Here's what it says. It'll be on the screen to help you. It says, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it. Wiping his feet with her hair, the house was filled with the fragrance. Let's talk about fragrance. All right, so some of you noticed already when you walked in that there was a specific fragrance in our worship center. Um, in fact, mostly the response I got today was, it stinks in here. It's biblical, people. Okay, what you are smelling is the essence of nard. 
It is. Uh, spikenard is a plant. It, it actually like uh, originated in the Himalayan mountains, like incredibly difficult to get, like this, this rich, expensive thing. And uh, we put it in diffusers around the room right now. Uh, it, was in, it, it was so valuable in the ancient world. It's still valuable today. So valuable in the ancient world that, that Horace once promised Virgil a whole barrel, a whole barrel of his best wine exchange, in exchange for a tiny vial of nard. The Jews would tell you that this aroma, the aroma of nard was the perfume of Eden. It's what the garden smelled like. It is the fragrance of heaven on earth, although it's not exactly Chanel number five. Look at this text. Mary approaches Jesus and pours, we think, a 12-ounce jar of nard on Jesus, the size of a Coke can. Filling this room right now are 20 drops. And Mary pours 12 ounces on Jesus. And it says the house was filled with the fragrance. Don't miss this. Jesus smells like heaven. And what does Judas do? In the next few verses, if you read further along, Jesus smells like heaven, but Judas makes a stink. Let's keep reading. We're going to skip ahead a little bit. In verses uh, 9, I'm going to read verse 9 and then 17 and 18. Verse 9 says, When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous Sign. Remember the first chapters of John, the first 12 chapters are the book of signs. Jesus does sign after sign after sign after sign. And really, we're done. Really, there, there's no more of that to come in the gospel of John. The signs ha- have all been laid out there. And Lazarus is the resurrection of Lazarus is kind of the penultimate sign, right? And now crowds are gathering around because they've seen the sign Jesus is trending. Look what it says in verse 10 and 11. It says, Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. Do you remember this? All right, everybody's gathering around because they've heard about what happened with Lazarus. Lazarus is saying, Yep, that was me. I was dead as a doornail. Now I'm back to life. And the leading priest decided to kill him as well as Jesus, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted the Pharisees, and believe. Remember, that's the whole movement in the first 12 chapters. To see the sign and believe. Let's keep reading. Verse 12 through 14. It says, The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. It swept through the city like the fragrance filling the house. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went out 
went down uh, the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy. So you guys know this, the triumphal entry of Jesus. We just sang the song, Hosanna, 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 right? Like Hosanna is, um, uh, it, it, it literally, I mean, it's praise God, it's blessings of the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But Hosanna had this whole other historical meaning for the Jews. Hosanna it really means save now. The Jews were uh, uh, an, uh, uh, an oppressed people, an occupied people. They lived under Roman rule. They, they longed for the day when the Messiah would come, when the Savior would come. And when a king or a conqueror, even if you can look in the history of the Maccabees, when a king would ride in, they would all run out and they would grab these palm branches and they would wave them in the air as this savior would enter the city. They did it so often and so frequently that the palm branches became known as hosannas. They called them hosannas. And in a couple of weeks, we'll have Palm Sundays and you'll get your, your hosanna too. Uh, maybe some of you saw this week that uh, we had Ash Wednesday. Maybe you saw people that had the ashes on the forehead. That was the you, generally the ashes that uh, um, are, are used for that are the burned palms from last year. So if you're just a little church trivia for you. Um, but the people cried out, save now. It was the greeting of a Messiah. It was the greetings of a Savior. It was the greetings fit for a king. And yet Jesus does something entirely unexpected, although prophetic. He doesn't come riding in in a tank or, or a war horse. He rides a what? Yeah, which is like, a, a, you know, a, a president or ruler riding in in a, a VW bus. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, it's not exactly what you would expect. And that's exactly what's happened. Like, Jesus enters like a king, although he's not the king they were expecting. Then jump ahead to verse 19. It says, then the Pharisees said to each other, I love this line. There's nothing we can do. Look, they're throwing a parade for him. Everyone has gone after him. Immediately after this, some, some Greeks show up and they pursue Philip, which is the sign that, hey, this thing is expanding beyond the borders of Jerusalem, beyond the borders of Israel. There's a, this whole expansion that's happening. Then I want to fast forward a little bit to verse 27. I know we're moving around a lot. Are you, st you guys still with me? Are you awake? All right, verse 27. Verse 27, Jesus says, Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray? Father, save me from this hour, but this is the very reason I came. Remember those of you that as we've been studying John, basically everything that's in John is not in the other gospels and everything in the other gospels is not in John. And this is one of those great examples. So in John, there's no like um, um, Gethsemane. I mean, I mean, Jesus will be in Gethsemane when he's arrested later, but there's no Gethsemane scene. This, this prayer, this single verse, which is in the middle of John, strangely, oddly enough, it is about as close as you get. There's also a no transfiguration in John. Like this is, this, you get one verse in John. John's like, here, I'll give you a verse. This is as close as John gets to the Gethsemane prayer, which 
uh, if you guys remember from Luke, it was, it was such a fervent, agonizing, distressing prayer. Luke tells that Jesus' sweat was like what? Yeah, it's like blood. And John simply says, records Jesus saying, now my soul is deeply troubled. It's the language, uh, it's the one verse of the Bible that everybody has memorized. Jesus wept. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's the same emotion. The emotion that Jesus had for Lazarus in his death is the same emotion that is in this verse. And in fact, it's the same word. Now my soul weeps. He prays that prayer. What should I pray? Father, save me from this hour. Take this cup from me. But then even Jesus says, no, no, no. This is the reason I came. And it's important to see that obedience is, is what makes Jesus the Son of God. Obedience even to the point of death. And if you read the few verses right in front of this, you'll see that he calls us to that same kind of obedience with language like anyone that wants to save their life must lose it. And anyone who wants to be my follower must be where I am. You see, in these simple verses, Jesus leans in and he invites us to do the same. Verse 28 and 29. Jesus, after the simple prayer, says, Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I've already brought glory to my name and I will do so again. And when the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, while others declared an angel had spoken to him. I didn't, re I didn't remember this verse being in here. You guys remember this? I, I, ha I hadn't remembered it. Um, I love this verse, though. Jesus cries out, Father, bring glory to your name. And creation answers. And here is what the people heard. Go ahead, Merwin. Wait, hold on. Anyone know what that is? Play it again. Merwin, play it again. Play it again, Merwin. Yeah, yeah. We'll let it play for a second. We'll get 30 seconds in. You remember what the first word is? Some of you are already thinking this is the best sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> Here it comes. When it comes, you know what to do. Sing along. There we go. All right, all right, all right, all right. That's enough. Thanks, Vera. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Like, any of you know me? Like, I just couldn't. I just couldn't. Let's try again. Are you ready this time? Jesus cries out, Father, bring glory to your name. And all creation answered, and here is what they heard. Shh. 
Okay. Did you feel it? Like the, we've got subs under the stage and I'm, I'm bouncing up and down here. Like uh, we were practicing this morning and one of the worship team said, man, it's the Rainforest Cafe. No. We're just trying to scare every dog in a 10 mile radius. You know, like every dog just went under the bed somewhere. Look what it says in Job chapter 37. I'll, I'll just put it on the screen for you. In Job chapter 37, I think Merwin's going to put it up there. There it is. Job 37. It says, my heart pounds as I think of this. It trembles within me. Listen carefully to the thunder of God's voice. As it rolls from his mouth, it rolls across the heavens, and his lightning flashes in every direction. Then comes the roaring of the thunder. The tremendous voice of his majesty He does not restrain it when he speaks. God's voice is glorious in the thunder. We can't even imagine the greatness of his power. How many of you just read over that verse, just glossed over that verse as you read this week? Jesus said, Father, bring glory to your name. And then the people heard thunder. Some thought maybe it was an angel. Like This chapter is filled with sights and sounds, right? An assault on the senses. You see, at this point in time in in the Jewish history, like the people had really given up. In some ways, they'd given up. They'd ceased to believe that the Messiah was coming. They'd ceased to believe that, that God would or somehow could speak to them. You know, it's easy to think, and maybe you felt this way too, that somehow God is too far away. Jesus speaks and God answers. And with Jesus, what we're supposed to see is that that God is near. In the very next, uh, at the end of this chapter, Jesus says, for when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. You see, the voice of God shows up multiple times in scripture, but it's always like these key moments, these great moments of Jesus' life. The trouble is not that God does not speak, but that maybe we don't listen. And it's a powerful reminder to us that God is not silent, and we are not alone. Jesus goes on in the next few verses, in verse 30 through 32, Jesus told them, he says, you know, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. I know the voice of the Father. This is, this is really for you. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. I love this verse. The voice was not for my benefit. It was for your benefit. Verse 31, he says, the time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of the world, will be cast out. Satan, the ruler of the world, will be cast out. I wrote in the margin of my Bible next to that, I just drew a little line to it, and I said, there's a new sheriff in town. Right? Do you feel it? The thunder speaks, and it's the sign that something is coming. 
something is coming that would break the power of evil, that would break the power of sin, would even break the power of death once and for all. Jesus says in verse 32, he says, when I am lifted up from the earth, he means lifted up like a king, like a king on the cross. All the power of evil and sin and death will be broken. The rule of this world will change. The people, of course, have trouble understanding this. If you look in verse 34, the crowd responded, we understood from scripture that the Messiah would live forever. How can you say that the Son of Man will die? Just who is this Son of Man anyway? Like, all right, this is one of those moments of like, goes right over their head, right? Jesus spoke and the sky answered. And who really is this son of man anyway? And Jesus, if you back up a little bit, in verse 24, he offers these words. He says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new life. He says, I, this, this thing, I have to die so that life can be born again for everyone. And this is a matter of life and death. He'll go on to say in verse 47, I've not come to judge the world, but to save it. Just a few more verses to share with you. Verse 23, I know we're moving around a lot. Verse 23, this is really the key. Maybe, maybe the the, the, this is the hinge verse. Everything is turning on this verse right here. If you've got a highlighter or a pen, or this is an important verse for you to mark. Verse 23, Jesus says, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. In the next few weeks, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about glory. It's, in Greek, it's doxa. It's, it's a word that means praise and honor, but it's also a word that means revealing. It's what Superman does when he pulls his suit off to reveal the truth underneath. But it also is a word that means weight, like, like glory is 10 pounds or 20 pounds or 30 pounds. It's, it's a heavy word, meaning substance. And Jesus says, now it's time for the Son of Man to step out from the shadows, to enter into his glory. Do you know how nature opens herself up before the rain comes? Have you seen this? We lived in Texas for a little while, an arid, desolate God-forsaken land. <laughs> uh, I went to grad school in Abilene, Texas. I moved my wife there. She'd never been to Texas. We, we went to grad school. And uh, the day we moved to Abilene was their 50th day in a row of over 100 degrees and no rain. And I'll tell you, when we were in Texas, especially this part of Texas, um, when even, so there's a big sky. I mean, you can see a long ways away. Even when there was a hint of rain, like all of the plants and all nature kind of opened up. You, do you, have you seen this happen? Do you know what I'm talking about? 
It's that idea like sometimes you can smell rain bef- before, it, before it seems to come. Like, like nature somehow knows it's coming. Even if we could see the rain clouds far away, like where we're at, nature would open up with this kind of longing, this kind of begging like, please come. And in chapter 12, that same thing is happening. Do you sense it? Something is coming like putting your ear to a railroad track. In chapter 12, he wants you to sense it. He wants you to get the feeling of it. Jesus walks like a king and he smells like heaven. He speaks and the thunder answers the Messiah, the one who can set all things right, is being revealed. I think it's fun to think about this because I think it, It's not just something that happened, but it's still happening. So the question for you this morning is, can you smell it in the air? Can you sense it? This whole first 12 chapters is all about signs. Do you see them? Do you see the signs? Can you feel it in the small hairs on your arm, in the back of your neck, in the smallest cells of your body? Do you feel it? Do you sense it for yourself? You see, like, I I know that right now some of you are on the cusp. You're right on the edge. You're, you're right on the edge of belief. You're right on the edge of faith. Like, like, like you're close to believing and some of you are on the edge of belief that is for the first time not a belief that somebody else has given you. Some of you for the first time are on the edge of a belief that doesn't come because your parents made you come to church or because of anybody else. But, but for the first time you're right on the edge believing for yourself because you see it and sense it and feel it for the, yourself. Some of you are in that same place when it comes to baptism and, and giving your life to Jesus in baptism. You're, kind of, you're right there on the edge. You feel some stirring within you, drawing you and calling you to take that next step. Some of you are close to coming to faith and belief in Jesus in a real way for maybe the first time. And I think all of John 12 is this kind of beckoning, urging, awakening, calling on all of your senses to recognize the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is. And I want to encourage that in all of you because in John chapter 12, there is also a verse verse that is incredibly tragic. It is a tragic verse, maybe in the, the, the most tragic verse of all of chapter 12, but, but maybe even the book as a whole. Here's what it says in verse 37. It says, despite all of the signs Jesus had done, despite the, the parades and the smell of heaven, despite God speaking through the thunder, despite the the healings and the miracles, despite Lazarus being raised from the dead, most of the people still 
did not believe in him. And as I send you to communion this morning, the tables are set up around the room. I invite you to ask yourself, do you believe in the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Thomas, at the end of John's gospel, you guys know Thomas, he goes by another name, Doubting Thomas. Finally, at the very end of John's gospel, Thomas comes to this realization for himself, and do you know what he says? Out of the depths of him, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And that is the place that John wants to invite each of you into. He believes it's in you already, this desire, this calling to recognize the truth of Jesus Christ. He wants to play on every sense that you have because he believes that somehow you know without even knowing the truth, that all of nature knows the truth of Jesus Christ. So in just a minute, I'm going to send you to communion. I want you to take these questions I know maybe today is a little bit tougher teaching because it refuses to somehow be compartmentalized. I know it comes at you from every direction. So as you go into communion, man, I, I just I, I invite you to do some kind of internal meditation and reflecting on, on what is God trying to reveal to you? How is he speaking to me? Am I seeing the signs for myself? Is there something I'm right on the edge of that I've been fearful? Is there a step that I've been fearful of taking that God is calling me and inviting me into? And as we enter this space, I invite you to dig deep into that space. And, and I'll move to the back. There's ways I can pray for you or serve you. Man, that, that's what I want to do. That's why we're here as a church. As we go into this space, I want to just give you these final few verses of Jesus. In chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 35 and 36, I just want to leave you with this. Jesus replied, my light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can, so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light while there is still time. Then you will become children of the light. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Ah, oh, God, may it, may it resonate in us. God, uh, today is a tough teaching, and, and we, shared, we shared so much, and it, it kind of defies, like, you know, us, our, 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 us somehow, like, com compartmentalizing it. Somehow, God, we're supposed to grasp all of this and, and chew on all of this. And, and yet, God, this word, this word, your word, it does a work on all of us. And so, Father God, that's what we invite. Right now, God, if we invite this word to work in us, we invite your spirit to do the work in us, the work that each of us need to move us into a growing relationship with you, to help us to take that next step of faith, to maybe, God, maybe this morning, this is the space where, where someone will take the next step of belief. It's a step they've been putting off and they've been hiding from and they've been, they've been holding out for far too long. God, this is the space, this is the morning, and we know that you are calling each of us into it. 
Father God, do your work in us this morning. While there is still time, allow us to walk in the light and to become children of the light. We love you, Father. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says,